Hello, universe. Um, it is, what, 11.50 on Wednesday, March 16th. And, is that right? Yep, 11.50, March 16th. And I am currently not using a headset for the first time because I uh, had some electrical harness piece in my furnace fry out. Uh, and while I probably could figure out a way to rig it with some cable wiring, I am not going to mess around with electric, especially um, in the dark with uh, what solution was available is my space heater in my bedroom with my cat and my dog. So we're all crowded into a smaller space. If there's a little bit of fighting that goes on, I will hit the pause button because you never know. But right now, we are in a little cocoon of warmth and everybody is on the verge of falling asleep except me. Because I can't stop thinking about all this stuff that I have to get to. And I'm on the ninth episode of this run, which means the next one I gotta review all the stuff that I made mistakes with in this first 10, plus the last couple of see what to happen was. So I got a lot to do. All of a sudden this thing, well it didn't feel like a job. But since I am starting the job at Home Depot in what, 15 hours, or at least I'll be doing my initial paperwork. Who knows if I'll actually work today. But I have to be prepared for it, so. It's a work day! Yay! That's for the best. Um, so let me just try to address my discomfort with the concept of nationalism. It's not that I don't feel uh, a tie and a bind to my fellow American. I absolutely do. More than my fellow Canadian or my fellow Mexican or anybody else. So, yeah, I get the family nature of being born into the nation and a citizen of that nation, etc., etc. But you have to understand that the biggest struggle for me in life has always been feeling like I was given opportunities, chances, and... Um, the, the path to a good life, as it's defined in the society's terms, I think it's clear that I was given advantages I didn't earn, and frankly, was born knowing I don't deserve. Uh, I don't know if it was my childhood experience of being inundated with the messaging that everybody has value Everybody is equal. Everybody's chance to do something in this world is just as uh, inalienable as everybody else's chance to do something in this world. That personal conviction, the drive to succeed your individual space, being... <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh, at least I didn't cough into the microphone. Oh, I gotta cough again. Well, that is definitely no bong hit, because given that I might be drug testing this afternoon, I haven't smoked weed, so maybe that's why I'm so wide awake. But the point is, I don't see any reason for anybody 
to think that they're better than anybody. There is no such thing. And, um, and so when I kept getting told, well, you're better than these people, or those people deserve what they got, or don't think about it. There's just, there are people in society that have more tools, and we want those people rising to the top. So the fact that you keep coming in first, second, and third, and all these competitions of who's thinking the smartest means we want you to think on the hardest problems, right? You start getting stroked like that shit. So you start believing some shit. Like, okay, maybe I am better than other people. Doesn't feel that way, but you keep telling me I am. Well, again, <sighs> you give those cues to somebody with uh, 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 I don't know what it's like. It's like, okay, so somebody tells you that <clears throat> that you're smart. So you think, okay, that person thinks I'm smart. Um, and then somebody else comes along and tells you that you had a clever response. Or the class does an exercise and your poem is picked to send to Washington. Or whatever, right? You start to think that you are at least smarter than some of the people that you know. Because by the measuring sticks that were given to determine things, things like success in the classroom is an early one whereby we start judging each other. And of course, wanting to please as many people as possible, I'm always going to work the hardest to come in first. And I don't really know that I, most of my academic success wasn't being able to outwork people because I really don't know how hard anybody else was working. But I know this, I was never really pushed. So I assume that if there was more in the tank, that some other people who were barely getting by must be giving everything they've got, or wouldn't they try harder because they're barely getting by. So, but you know nothing. You know nothing. You just know what you're dealing with and what the world is giving you back and the signals that you create. And if you let that turn into ego, you let that start to think that you are better than other people or for any reason whatsoever you give into the messaging. Well, now you're fucked, literally. Because <clears throat> you're either going to fulfill those channels and ultimately sit on a pile of gold and a soulless existence are you going to come to see a world that, you know, is, it's sewn together wrong. There's just, the elements here that should be here are missing. Where's the tranquility of cooperation? Where's the sensibility of helping even those people who don't ask for it? Where's the camaraderie? of a community that depends on every single person to help pick them up when necessary. <clears throat> nope. No, that's not what we what we on planet Earth eight six seven five three oh nine do. No here on eight six seven five three oh nine. We're more interested in survival of the fittest. Or as Darwin's actual treatise says, survival of the strong. And there's a huge difference. For fittest implies 
that it's a credo of get your shit together, man. What are you doing? Be fitter. You need to survive. But survival of the strong? Well, some of us are born weak. Especially when it comes to physical. So if you boil it all down to who can out-hit who, well, that's a planet on which consciousness shouldn't evolve. And it doesn't. Because the consciousness evolving step is coming to see that empathy, cooperation, and living as if what happens to one of us happens to all of us, that's when consciousness arises. Because now you have a shared space in which to connect with each other through mental energy. And humans were so good at it, we literally turned Earth into a paradise. Until somehow we started thinking that we were more important as individuals than every single person we could see in our vision, humanity as a collective. We saw them as the people who were trying to one-up us. It was now a competition of who was the fittest. So, whenever I think of concepts that make us isolate, evaluate, and then in whatever capacity get out there and one-up each other for the reward of being the fittest human, well... I do think that creating paper legislation to serve your interests in a court full of paper results that protect you from the outright lies you are distributing among your human kind, I think that is as ridiculous as a society can probably get. An individual given the wrong signals in that society can start to think, and I do mean think, that they've got their way to the very top. They can see how to do it. They know that they're going to have to give up a little of their moral fabric, but they'll maintain as much of that on the way as they can because they've been taught there is no moral fabric. Sure, humans have some sort of kinship toward each other that is empathy, but do you know what empathy does? It leads to the extinguishment of your civilization. Because if you start caring about each other, all it's going to take is one person who doesn't care to come in and destroy. It's a logical argument. You start to think, yeah, there is vulnerability in being available to help. Because people will take advantage of that. It's possible. But do you know why people take advantage of that? Because they've been trained to think they're better than you. So they'll take advantage of you. It's why ultimately I wasn't cut to make it in this society. 
They gave me all the channels. I had all the knobs. I had my hand directly on the joystick and my finger on the trigger. Before I realized, I don't want to shoot any of you. I don't want to leap over any of you. I have no interest in being better than anyone. Fundamentally, that's who I am. I know we're all the same. So every time I got told I was better, I knew it was wrong. And I think at some point, I knew I couldn't live my life any longer if I wasn't willing to stand up and say, enough. Enough thinking there isn't a way out of this and start showing a way that there is. So I sit here with hopefully acquiring a part-time job at Home Depot this afternoon because it is now midnight or after. So it is now Thursday, the 17th. Oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. You know, I have a friend who was born on the 18th of March. And he said, I have the absolute worst birthday on the calendar. I was like, what are you talking about? It's better than Christmas. And he's like, no, it really isn't. Because you know what my birthday is? It's the day nobody wants to do anything because they're all hung over. Because the only thing St. Patrick's Day is for is to get wasted. And I thought about what he said. And I said, you know what, sir? I think you're right. So, to all you March 18th babies, well, let me just give you a... I'm so sorry you were born on the 18th. And uh, I have to uh, go to the bathroom, so I'm going to pause. Okay, I don't even know what I said there, but um, I'm going to put the phone back on the little space heater, which obviously is turned off. There should be no ambient noise because there's no furnace. And I say these things because I am trying to address the audience, as it were, for the first time, pretending that there is one, because I realize that having put things out in the public sphere, but then not having addressed what I'm doing in some kind of capacity is, well, it's like overusing the word capacity. It's a mistake to not have thought more widely in my presentation. And so, with that concept uh, as my prominent initiative today, this is going to be long. Uh, I don't even know what I said in that first 15 minutes. I mean... What I was trying to address is that most of my angst came from being told I was better than other people and knowing I wasn't. Most of my self-loathing came from getting into positions to leverage that, taking advantage of some of those, and then feeling miserable about it. And um, when I finally realized that I had to do something better with my life than just think I was a problem, uh, I came to fundamentally lean on being kind, understanding, and forgiving of everything, including myself. And I had to get through a lot of mm, static electricity sitting in my, in my, what, what is it, a magnetic drum? I don't even know. I know nothing about electricity. That's why I don't, I don't have any heat. I'm not about to screw with it. <clears throat> but... Neither should anybody else call an electrician. Do not kill yourself over something stupid. Um, 
which I guess comes to the first one here. Uh, why are we our, why is it that we can be our own worst enemies and yet be so completely full of ourselves? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always had a struggle with that one. Um, like in my head, I constantly hear the sound of what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This isn't you. You know, you should be doing something different whenever I'm full of shit. And that's the just simplest way I can put it. Um, and yet, because you keep getting told that you're the best, you, you, you've got all the advantages, go set the world on fire. Um, you're propped up by these, by the self-evaluation that you're just working it out. You're just rolling through the, the, the rough part to get to the smooth sailing because everybody keeps telling you you're a winner. And yet everything you do, the voice inside your head says, what the fuck are you doing? Um, I didn't, I didn't understand that it was the messaging that I was better that was getting me into positions to fail and fail as a human, as a soul, as somebody who knows how to not be an oppressor and knows that oppression is nothing more than the wrong guys getting too much stage time for too much Everything that that is makes the human experience literally too painful to exist in is created by humans themselves. The the solar cycle, the thirteen thousand year catastrophe, we can't do anything about that. But what we could do, like create underground structures that allow us to survive such cataclysms, there's no cooperation uh, vector pointing anywhere near us assimilating to get to that kind of civilization achievement. So maybe the 13,000-year cycle is so that if you haven't figured out how to cooperate enough to survive through this, well, reset. Let's see if the next round can do it. And why not? I mean, if Mother Earth has any power whatsoever and any sentient concept of the reality that we experience, well, the crop circles and the, the warnings that she's given us, we don't listen to any of it. So I see a civilization that, much like me, keeps getting messaged that it's overachieving and doing great things when, in fact, the one thing it needs to be doing, taking care of itself, is the only thing it failed to do. And so all these, all these winners who think they're somehow better than the rest of us. Well, I hope you got enough underground bases to survive all of it. I really do. Because maybe your children will figure it out. All right. I don't even know what I'm wandering off on. I might need to just shut this down. Let's go through the orange list. These were the highlights. Okay, why are lottery winners proof money sucks? Uh, I mean, this is simple. Just go look up what happens to lottery winners. And then think about this. If, in fact, most of what happens when you acquire sudden wealth is you get... You become prey for the people who know how to take advantage and manipulate those without 
the inside knowledge and wizardry of our financial instruments. And so desperate do the needs of the people around you become that you can't help but give money away. Because that's who we are. And the people who win the lottery, they're the people who are just hoping for a miracle, frankly. They know that the five bucks or dollar they're going to spend on this ticket really is no more than throwing it into the trash can. But there's just that 33-hour window until the drawing that maybe it'll be me. Maybe my life finally won't be a complete head force wind. And when, <laughs> God forbid, you win the thing and that becomes a series of, hey, can I get this? Hey, man, did you know? And you know what you need to take advantage of. And here's another way that you can get of conversations with people who want something from you. Well, I bet that's the first time you think, ah, oh, this is what it's like to be rich. I don't know if it's that great. And believe me, everybody who's got a pile of money has had to have a conversation with themselves as to why they don't feel fulfilled with all that money. The only thing that a pile of money gives you is an opportunity to be extremely, extremely giving. So if you got a big pile of money and you're not feeling like it worked for you, well, who can you go help with all that money? You're not taking it with you. I, I don't even want to look at my bank account because I fear that it's in double digits now. But that doesn't worry me in the least. I just need enough money to get by. And getting by will fill my soul with so much reward that I don't, I don't want to... All right, maybe two cents, right? I'll leave with two cents. Or I'll leave two cents on the planet. But money is money is never going to fulfill. Never. And so when 10 years, I think it is 10, or it's nine, nine years after the average lottery win, the person is in lower financial straits than they were when they won the lottery. So it's a nine-year suck-off before your teat is officially no longer suckable. And in all that time, the lottery winner does get the one thing that they take away from the experience. Well, two, because you do learn money doesn't mean shit. And you also learn that helping people, well, that's what you got out of it. You help some people out of some jams, and you might have helped yourself out of a jam or two. And that little feeling of help can come every day of your life. And the more it comes, the less you'll care about money. Um, okay. Who do you... How you give to, uh, how you give to shits. What is that? Uh, I hate how much I can't read my own writing. I got to get better at that. Note to self. All right. Dumb fuckery. Um, <clears throat> in, in my lowest moments right now, where I go is to the place that I don't think, I, I, I assume I must be dealing with a force that's inhuman. 
what I don't understand is, yeah, maybe I've been avoiding this reckoning my whole life, telling myself I was better and that the conflict I was having was one over um, not achieving what my potential offered in a world full of vectors to climb. I never was interested in the climb. It meant that I was going to have to keep thinking better of myself and worse of others. I wasn't, I wasn't willing to do it. But I know there are plenty of people who can climb that ladder, understand that their bubble of, of isolation from true world problems is enough, and get to a place where comfort, happiness, the love of their family, the, the security of their existence, and the, the cocoon of, at least I live in a world that's not chaotic, exists. And then I think sometimes as you get past that stage and start to realize that, you know, your brother-in-laws now, you know, succumb to fentanyl or your, your neighbor across the street lost his kid to suicide or, you know, you just start to see how your bubble's not as secure as you think it is because there's so much pain that can penetrate even those of us who have isolated and, and walled up our little property the most keep that crazy world from getting to me. It does get to you because the world is entirely crazy. So even if you have, I've said it many times, if I had been able to just wiggle my way up the, the career ladder of becoming a golf pro, and I mean like at a country club, just teaching old ladies how to swing, I'd have been in that cocoon. I wouldn't know that I wasn't winning life. I would think I had one life. I would think that at least I figured out to chase something I loved, to do something that had meaning for me, to have the kind of life that was always ready to walk out the door for the next day. But I never would have been challenged enough to understand that, that all I'd done is gone up a vertical without obstacle. So it felt like winning because if you don't get challenged to rethink what you're doing and if it's the right thing to do, well, you can just middle road your way all the way to the end without realizing there was no finish line. You were on the wrong road. So I hope that what's gotten us to this point are a whole lot of people saying, holy shit, am I on the wrong road? Because what they see in their head is a life full of frankly, achievement and proper activity. It's true, Phoebe. And that's what dumb fuckery is. It's, wow, I am so sorry. I didn't even realize I was on the wrong road and I've been doing this for years. I thought, honestly, that I had, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit that I hadn't even noticed that there was another road to take. I took the road everyone told me to take I did everything everybody told me to do, and here I am, sitting, wondering why my life is so unfulfilled. Because they completely closed off access to that other road whenever you went looking for it. But that other road is there, and that is the road to get us back on track. I don't know how much shenanigan pulling has gone on in the 20th century and into the 21st. But in a world full of people who were told they were better than other people and opportunities out there to prove it, to take advantage, to climb, well, what have we done? Well, we've centered the entire 
wealth of the world in about a hundred people's hands. And of course that's hyperbole, but I wish it were more hyperbolic than it is. And it's only increasing. So that to me doesn't look like dumb fuckery. That to me looks like a system that has been figured out to pull as much advantage out of existence as possible until the system breaks, because that's where the system is headed. This whole cycling through of what potential lies in the current circumstance all points to violent revolution. So why are they doing it? This isn't something only I know. So I'm still hoping for dumb fuckery, but my fear is that we are in a position of one response left because the pressure on us is not stopping. Okay, give away the, what's that word, dude? Monsat? What is that? Monsat? Is that a T? Give away the non-eat? Yeah, who knows? Dumb, okay. I do not, uh, I don't, God is whatever, right? Everybody has this, this way of connecting to the, and bless you, Phoebe. See, now I'm not a bless you person because I don't believe in God. I always thought, well, what's the point of social customizing out the bless you's if that's something I don't believe in? Now, do I believe in you're so good looking? Well, I think it's better than bless you, to be honest. But my thoughts on God do not ever represent what anybody else thinks. In fact, I think that statement's probably true for every single one of us. I do think now, in a more spiritual sense than I ever have, and I am finally, for the first time in my life, open to the to at least the overall originator of the space in which we're experiencing this human life. Could that be a programmer? Sure. This could all be simulated, computer-generated hyper-reality in which we are avatars in a game full of what seems like true moral life and death consequence. If I were an eternal being, do you know how much I would want to invent that game? I would want it desperately to have the chance to come down into a space in which all of my actions have consequence. Time doesn't exist as a, a space of eternal bliss. It exists in a sequence of actions that have consequence. Just like all of us wish to live in a world where there is no no motivation to be anything other than part of a collective of eternal bliss. Why make me think through all these hard situations if there is an opportunity to just exist in a bath full of bliss? Well, again, while eternal bliss, I'm sure, is probably pretty freaking great, at some point, 
if you're sitting there giggling and feeling tingly all over for the 800 millionth time in a row, and somebody says, hey, you want to go try out this game I invented? You may have to give up some of your blissful feeling, but I believe it'll be worth it, because look what you can do. Well, that's the sandbox in which I live. Because I do feel connected to every single one of you. Even if you come on, and jump on me. Here, go out in the cold. Have a good one out there. <sighs> so, those of you who have had connection to that feeling your whole life and have found the comfort of religion to describe it the best, well, yeah, I 100% believe that now. I'm sure that you have been ahead of me in this game of being faithful to what I know is spiritually there. And I was taught again to think there is no God. So there is nothing but silliness in religion. And I was fine with that. That's how I came to think I was better than all of you. At least those of you who were convinced that faithful service on Sunday afternoon or however else you found religious conviction, I thought... Well, whatever 10 hours a week you're giving up to that stuff are just 10 hours of a week in which I'm going to get further ahead of all of you. But, once again, here I sit, like a professional golfer, realizing I've never even thought about the needs of anybody else. Having the epiphany of, well, you're not going to be able to catch up on all the, all the faithlessness that you forced into your life because you were told that was the truth. You can't get that back. But you can start living today in the, in the house of divinity that it is to always know, I'm here to help, I'm here to be kind, I'm here to understand what's going on, and I'm here to forgive you if you think you did wrong. That religion... Well, that one I might have bought into when I was seven or eight. But, you know, the one with the wine and the wafers, that all seems so oppressive and oh, so ornate and ornamental with the dressing. I didn't know if I was ready to be donned in robes and... Oh, I won't go further than that. But again, the, the houses of worship on planet Earth don't have, offer the answers. They try to take advantage of that feeling inside of you that knows... All you have to do is come here to be your true self, and the divinity works out in your favor. That's how it works. You don't need to read a book. I mean, you should read a lot of books, but you don't need to read a book to be divine. Uh, okay, I didn't really get through the lucid dreaming phase well at all, especially because I do think, if I've been woo-woo anywhere my whole life, it's been that I think my dreams may be connecting to a bigger consciousness. I really feel that way because I've learned stuff in my dreams. Now, there's a very solid counter-argument that I'm so gummed up in knowing which instincts in my head to listen to that my head has to go subconscious weird and create camelionesses for me to understand things that I'm learning but won't admit. I think that's pretty persuasive, honestly. And having never experienced a true camelioness in my waking state, I can only assume that the regular interactions I have with creatures in my dream are me 
puppet showing myself to a little bit of the wisdom and true spiritual awakening available to me. Okay. It doesn't matter, really. They can be eternal beings of light from the planet. Zippity zip. It's the same experience. And this can all be a hallucinated uh, a virtual reality. I'm still experiencing it. I still see the pain. I still see the dismissive attitude. I still see the superiority complexes. I still see the unwillingness to lend a hand. I still see the garrisoning of resources to protect oneself from a world filled with cruelty. And then I see a world filled with cruelty because everybody has been told to think a way that isn't human. To think this is a battle of fitness and those who earn it deserve it. That is wrong. It is absolutely a mindset designed to pit us against each other. Because the natural state of humanity is empathy, assistance, kindness, and understanding. There were no courts that had to be drawn up until we started thinking we owned something. There's no ownership. Planet Earth isn't yours. It's not mine. It's ours. Everything that derives from there works. Everything that derives from I need to make sure I've got mine doesn't. So if it took me 52 years to unwind the messaging and understand that the whole problem for me was thinking that I had something coming to me that I didn't. Well, I'm now stepping out into the world to remind everybody else that I just was told things that I shouldn't have believed. And now that I've learned that those messages tore me inside to the point I almost wanted, I did want, but I I never had the stones to actually leave this planet on my own hand. Well, thank, thank God. Because now I understand that that would have just been succumbing, ultimately, to every wrong message I had been given. And I hear the response, well, what do you mean? Of course, it, those who work the hardest deserve the most. All I'm going to tell you is that if you had a chance to slip your consciousness into somebody else's life space and see what they were going through, you wouldn't think they weren't working hard. Nobody on this planet isn't working hard. Now, some people aren't walking into a hospital to perform surgery on someone's brain. They're walking into that hospital to make sure that the front foyer windows are clean. It matters not. Everybody is working hard. Even those who are at home so distraught they can't get out of their own house. They're working the hardest. They're working to find a reason to stay alive because the system has driven them into the ground. And they know it. And they're blaming themselves. 
and they don't have any way out because wherever they look, they're told that they failed. And they start to think they're the problem. In a world full of winners, they're a loser. So, I don't care who you are listening to this. You know I'm right. Even if you won, what do you want to do with the losers? Is that what the Great Reset's for? We'll let the cream rise to the top every 250 years and then get rid of the chattel? Well, I don't want to live that way. Because I know that civilizations as great as whatever used to exist in South America, whatever's hidden under the jungle in the Amazon, whatever did what they did in Southeast Asia, those civilizations cooperated. Those civilizations lived outside of money, and those civilizations achieved such heights they've been wiped off this planet. Otherwise, we might start to understand that, well, if they cooperated and did all that, what the fuck are we fighting for? All right, so back to the liquid shark. I mean, the, the lucid dreams. It, I, I, I can remember my very first lucid dream that I can remember I was about four. It was a dream about spiders. And I had had a nightmare. Oh, I got, yeah, I definitely have one other nightmare because I had one when I was a kid. I was, I dreamt that I was being chased by spiders and I ran into my parents' room, terrified, still seeing the spiders all around me. And they woke me awake or, or shook me into reality. I remember this episode well. I can even remember the feeling, uh, yeah, that that's like, I must have been, I must have been hallucinating the the hallway covered in spiders because I didn't wake up. My parents just coming into the situation took it all away. Like, it's not a memory of coming in. I mean, I can remember running through the hall. I got into their bedroom. Like, I didn't sleepwalk. But whatever that was, I had a lucid dream shortly thereafter with a whole bunch of spiders in it. And it was the first time I realized I was dreaming. Because of this experience with the nightmare into my parents' room, I, I had a chance to make the spiders disappear in my dream. That's my first lucid dream moment of my life. And then from there on, it wasn't like you, you, you kind of trip into a lucid dream and think, oh my God, I'm dreaming. Because for me, lucid dreams were always, and, and to this day, I always feel like reality. So it, you're always shocked that you're dreaming when you come into the realization that you are. Because until then, whatever little micro experience you're having in dreamland feels like you're up getting ready to go to work or whatever. It feels like the, the 3D reality we live in. And, um, and I had the shark dreams early too, like elementary school early. I saw the movie Jaws when I was, uh, what year Jaws came out? 75. So I would have been six. My parents had gone to the drive-in. They took us to see, there was a double feature and they took us to see some kid movie at the beginning. Um, something like the rescuers or, you know, one of those. And then there was a double feature and I think they turned their car around to watch the movie shampoo. So I, I'm not positive, but they turned around to watch some, some other movie. Well, out the back screen, the drive-in was showing the movie Jaws. So, I was sleeping in the back seat. My sister was sleeping in the middle seat. They were in the front seats. So I had a clear view out the back window of the screen. I 
heard none of the dialogue. In fact, whatever dialogue I was hearing was coming from the movie my parents were watching. But I was watching Jaws. And I was so terrified, literally. I mean, the first shark scene is... It, it, I mean, I can, I can vividly remember being frozen, terrified, and knowing that I shouldn't be awake, like knowing I, I would be in trouble if I made a noise because I was supposed to be asleep. But now that I was seeing a shark attack movie, I could not take my eyes off of it. So I saw the whole movie and I don't know that I saw the beginning of it with the girl drowning and all that stuff and all like, I may have even gotten woken up at some point and then saw that I was looking at shark footage and saw it from there on. I can't promise I didn't. I saw enough of the middle to the end to have remembered it. My par- uh, Like, I wouldn't get in the shower. My, my parents at some point realized I'd watched Jaws. But I, I was afraid of water. <laughs> I was just... It terrified me. I was a six-year-old. And uh, so, so I, when the shark dream started happening, they were they were the most realistic dream I'd ever had. And the first couple of them were always situations where I was scuba diving or, I mean, I got attacked in water and got devoured and then I'd wake up. And, and I I know that I'd had them far enough along in life. So I'm thinking like third, fourth grade is probably where they started that I had realized I wasn't a nightmare kid because I knew some kids who had nightmares regularly. And, uh, and so I kind of felt, okay, well, that's good because I never feared going to sleep. And some of my friends were having such scary dreams that um, I thought nightmares were something that inevitably would enter my life, but for now hadn't been there. And then the shark dream comes along and I think, okay, well, that's a nightmare. And um, and it, it was frequent enough that it was the first recurring dream I was aware of that I was having. And I was definitely aware that I was having this recurring dream by high school. And I tried to figure out if it was stress-related, like what would bring on a shark dream? Because I certainly didn't want to have them. Um, I would get in, you know, routines of, of uh, successful uh, outcomes and the shark dreams would still come. So it wasn't a confidence issue. It wasn't a, a circumstantial issue. I couldn't, I never nailed down if there was a trigger that was bringing these dreams on. But I started having lucid dreams that I was getting more playful in. Once you understand you're dreaming, then you want to keep going. But you don't, you don't really, you, at the the first, all I could do is understand I was dreaming, have a second or two of kind of wondering how this is all happening and then be awake or then be out of it. So my first lucid dream situations were just the recognition that it's a dream, even though you thought it was reality. And then the day, the, the, the daytime reality, you have, you have full recollection of that dream state. You can play through the entire reel. So it, it becomes a memory more than say those, those mornings where you rush awake and think, Oh my God, I want to remember what I was just dreaming. And then you can't even get to a pencil before it's already gone. So there's no recollection of it. These, I mean, I still, I, like I said, I remember those spiders in that hallway. Like I lived through it. I remember some of the, the coincidental dreams I've had about meeting people and then seeing that person as a person who I'm interviewing in a job application and thinking, oh my God, I've been in this dream before. This is that stupid application dream I had. Oh my God, I'm, 
having that stupid application moment. Ah, <sighs> you know, and that's that's the 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 strangest part of dream deja vu is dream deja vu always feels dumb. Like you don't suddenly realize that you're in a hailstorm that you've dreamt. No. You realize you're in an interview and you're getting the question you got in your dream that you thought was the dumbest question you've ever gotten in an interview in a lucid dream and now you're getting it in real life. I mean, all I can say is it seems to me like tapping into alternate timelines or future events that give you an opportunity to not fuck them up or something. Like, but the shark dreams... Because I had started to understand at times I was dreaming. And the shark dreams sometimes, especially in college, were intense. And so I started to think that it must have to do with knowing I'm, knowing I'm in a situation that is going wrong and not admitting it. Like failing my entire first semester of college, which I didn't fail. But I did, I did end up with a 1.9 GPA that first semester. So I, I had my by far worst academic mark ever. And I'm having the shark dreams like crazy. Well, um, if my lucid dreams were there to tell me moments in time that I would think were silly but needed to be treat, treated seriously, then my shark dreams were there to tell me that I needed to uh, stop being silly and start being serious on something I was completely ignoring. But they were so traumatic. And I mean, these, these would vary from answering a door in, a, in, a, in an apartment that I don't live in and knowing that I'm just watching for a friend who went to go get takeout for us. And so hearing a knock on the door, I think they forgot their keys. I open the door and it's a great white shark devouring me. And no, this isn't from SNL or maybe it is, but I mean, it would, so the shark dreams would, would just come from nowhere. And sometimes they'd happen twice in a night. Like I'd have one wake up and go, go back to bed and have it again and have sometimes the very same freaking dream. Um, so the only thing I could do to combat it, I actually started seeing a psychiatrist for like two weeks in college and that was terrible. So, but the one reason I went is because I wanted to get rid of the shark dreams. And so that we, what, what I ended up doing is coming to the realization that you can't have sharks attack you in landlocked state situations. And it worked when I finally had the first lucid shark dream. It was at the end when I realized I had lost my two arms and one leg and had one leg left. I stuck my leg out and invited it to get eaten because I knew it didn't matter. And then I woke up and it was the first time in the dream that I had ended it without being terrified. And then the next time I had the dream, I'm on a beach. The shark chases me up the beach, starts eating me from the feet up, and I'm laughing at it. I'm like, I know I'm dreaming. And then I woke up, and that's the last shark dream I ever had. And honestly, I keep thinking, well, maybe I will have a shark dream someday. But I've never had another one. And... There was nothing going right in my life at the time. But what was going wrong in my life is I had gotten further and further and further and further and further away from who I really was.
when you want to talk about what college was, no, Phoebe stay. I was kidding. College was when the, the wheat is getting separated from the chaff. If you don't think that at some of the elite prep schools and colleges on this, in this country, you're being told that not only are you better than everybody else, but you better start embracing it. At some point, you have an obligation to go out there and do with the skill set you've been given. The shit that people like your skill set go out and do. And, you know, fuck that. That's the great white shark. Telling me don't fall for the bullshit. Because I knew I wasn't better than anybody else. Hell, in college, I was bottom 10%. So, this conflict of messaging led to all of the turbulence my life could offer. Because I believed it. Or I gave away my life with the kind of faith that what they were telling me was going to work out if I could just embrace it. And yeah, I get how ironic that all is when I would dismiss religion with the kind of dumb fuckery that I'm admitting I fell for in societies. White American male messaging. But I did. And now that I know that was all just me being easily misled, if I can do anything while I'm still here breathing on this planet, I can certainly fight for those of you who got misled too. Because we don't deserve this. None of us. This situation isn't favorable for anybody but the top, tippy-top pinnacle. And even they have given up their souls to get there. So if you look around the landscape, what you see are people enduring way more pain than is necessary, and people thinking they've won when they've lost. How on earth, 8675309, can I not give something to a situation in that much need? Well, that's what I'm trying to do. Ineffectively, I agree, but I'm figuring it out. I'm not someone who's pretending I've got all the answers when I, I don't even know necessarily what motivates me to get out of bed on some days. But I know that I'll never feel better than you. I'll never think you don't deserve forgiveness. I'll never think I can't understand if I try hard enough by being as kind to you as I know how to be. If that doesn't make a better life for me and for everybody I know, well, then I will have had the wrong messaging inside me my whole life because that's the messaging that I can't get away from. The rest of it, (sighs) well, I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for truth.